The Real Estate Sessions is sponsored by AdWorks. AdWorks makes digital advertising brilliantly simple. Choose your zip code and build your brand. Enter an address and promote your listings. Or upload your list and stay top of mind with your sphere of influence. And if you go to adworks.com slash billrisser, you'll do more than just build brand awareness or nurture your network. Right now, you get to save 15% off your purchase, and I get to send 10% to the Colon Cancer Alliance, an organization that means a great deal to me. That's www.adworks.com slash Bill Risser. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions podcast. Thank you so much for, for tuning in and telling a friend and leaving a rating or a review at iTunes. It all helps uh, it helps us keep growing, which is wonderful. And And in the spirit of that growing, as we head towards the 100th episode, I wanted to do a special thing this week. And what I'm going to do is replay the very first episode of the Real Estate Sessions featuring Jay Thompson of the Zillow Group, uh, someone I know from Thompson's Realty Group back in Gilbert, Arizona. And Jay was our guest back in July of 2015. So a little bit of a Real Estate Sessions rewind this week. Please enjoy our first ever episode featuring Jay Thompson. Welcome to the Real Estate Sessions and join industry leaders as they share their stories and offer tips and advice to real estate professionals. Now your host, Bill Risser of Chicago Title, Arizona. So today's guest in our first episode is the closest I could get to Dave Letterman's first guest, which was Bill Murray. Well, in the real estate space, I'm going to call that Jay Thompson. So I've known Jay since 2009, maybe 2008, uh, when he was running Thompson's Realty which was actually less than a half of a mile from my branch location with Chicago title. So he was already four years into the Phoenix real estate guy.com, which turned out to be a wildly popular real estate blog. Jay, in my opinion, belongs on the Mount Rushmore real estate blogging pioneers. He was one of the first to get it and understand what it would do. In 2012, Jay was hired by Zillow to be a part of their social media team. His title now is director of industry outreach and he spends a whole lot of time online talking to realtors. So, Jay, thank you so much for tearing yourself away from the Internet to spend a few minutes with us. Sure, Bill. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. <laughs> no problem. So let's start off with some basic stuff about you. Maybe everybody doesn't know your backstory. How long have you been in the real estate space, we'll call it? I got licensed, first got my sales license in Arizona in 2004. So what is that, 11 years now? Okay, so you're not one of those 30-year old timers. You're a relative newcomer to the business. Yep. Okay, and what did you do then? You had to have a career before you were in real estate because I happen to know how old you are. So what did you do before real estate? <laughs> I was in the semiconductor manufacturing industry, um, basically manufacturing computer chips. Um, and I did that for 20 years and then some. Uh, the last stint in that was as a HR manager. And for the last three years as an HR manager, all I did was uh, shut down factories and lay people off, which is not why I got into human resources. Um, I got into HR to help people. And then the whole, in the, the semiconductor industry is insane. It's crazy. It's very cyclical. There was a big giant downturn. So we shut, we shut down all these factories and lay people off. And as I'm sitting with my fellow HR professionals, we looked at each other and we said, you know, when we're done with all these factory closures, we're getting laid off. 
And it, to make a long story short, that indeed happened. And I looked over at my wife after we got the layoff. I got a really nice severance package from my employer, um, about two years of pay. And I looked at Francie and I said, I don't ever want to work in corporate America again. What are we going to do? And we had some friends that were in real estate and had been for a couple of years and were doing well with it. So we thought, well, we can live for two years on my severance package. So let's give it a shot. And that's what I did. Got licensed. Um, three years after I got my sales license, I got my broker's license. And two days after I got my broker's license, I opened Thompson's Realty. Excellent. So, so it really was, uh, it was kind of your just kind of distaste for what happened there that, that once kind of turned you into an entrepreneur, really, right? Yeah, it was. You know, 20 years is a long time to spend in corporate America. It was a very big company, very bureaucratic. Um, and, you know, it, the whole shutting down factories, and I personally exited 3,500 some odd people, wasn't a very pleasant experience. So I was a bit turned off to corporate America, and it seemed like real estate offered everything we were looking for, independence, freedom, entrepreneurship, you know, you, you, you get out of it what you put into it, the harder you work, the more you make, uh, lots of freedom in some ways, and so that's what we went with, and it worked out pretty well. You said exited, right? Is that what you called it when you let people go? <laughs> Yeah, we exited them. We turned it. We fired them. Ah, gotcha. I want to clear <laughs> that up. Yeah, it was horrible. It was horrible because I had grown men that had been employed with the company for 35 years. They're crying at my desk, saying, "What am I going to do?" And all I could say was, "I don't know." Here's your box. Go pack your stuff, and I'll walk you out. Mm. It, was, it was awful. Awful. Okay. So let's leave that in the past. Uh, let's let's yes. talk about then. You start your real estate career. And did you end up starting with uh, kind of a big national brokerage then? I did. I found a, I went, you know, I said that we had some friends that were in real estate and they were with a, a Century 21 broker in Mesa. So we went and talked to him. We really liked him. Super, super good guy. He and the broker and the office manager had been in real estate forever. Clearly, my wife and I knew nothing about selling real estate. So it was a good fit because he was a good mentor. Um, and we did that for three years. The whole time, from, from the day I got my sales license, my intent was to open my own brokerage. And um, and that's what happened. In Arizona, you have to be licensed, have a sales license for three years before you can get your broker's license. And that's what we did. So we started that up, started up Thompson's Realty. Um, originally, it was going to be my wife and I and our friend that originally took us to Century 21. And within two days, actually probably within two hours of posting on the blog that Thompson's Realty was open for business, I had agents calling me saying they wanted to come work with us. So I looked at Francie and I said, what are we going to do? We, we hadn't talked about hiring agents. It was just going to kind of be a almost a sole proprietorship. Um, and so we decided we winged it and we hired several agents. And you probably remember there were many times where I said, I'm never going to have more than 10 agents. And then I think I said, I'm never going to have more than 20 agents. And then I probably said, I'm never going to have more than 25. We wound up with 32 agents at one point. Right. Um, so, um, go, you know, going back a little bit to your, when you first started, did, was there a mentor? Was it the broker at C21 or was there somebody else that was that person that was, that they got you going? Because it's not an easy thing to just do on your own. Um, it's it's not. You know, the, the broker was really good at teaching us the ins and out of, you know, for lack of better terms, processing the paperwork. Um, he still wasn't the best at helping with um, prospecting and securing clients and things like that that are obviously 
was super critical to be successful in real estate. And he was very, very good as a broker, and he ran the office very well, but he just didn't have the bandwidth to take somebody, you know, totally under his wing. So to be honest, you know, I, I, I got as much information as I could from senior agents in the office, but they were busy. They didn't have a whole lot of time. Um, a lot of it was self-taught. You know, I, I taught myself a lot on the internet and just, plus being in human resources, I think was a kind of a natural segue in some ways into real estate. Cause it's a very, obviously HR is a very people oriented thing and real estate is a very people oriented business. So that was a, it was a help. I mean, I at least knew professionally how to deal with people and, and, and handle conflict and all those things that an HR, typical HR manager does. If you think about it, there's a whole lot of parallels with real estate. I still didn't know much about getting clients. Um, and that's where the internet came into play. Yeah. Let's, let's talk about that internet thing. So the, uh, in 2005, you decide to start blogging about real estate. How many real estate blogs did you find when, if you did a little research, how many were out there? I did, I did a lot of research because I'd been a blogger for a couple of years, you know, kind of when blogs first came out on the internet and everybody had a, a personal journal as a blog. I did that. So I was used to the systems. Um, but as so I started poking around, I just, I have, I have a love for writing. And I said, you know what, I, this, this internet thing is going to be huge. And I have a love for writing, so I should, I should be able to marry those two things into a real estate blog and generate some business from it. So I went to my friend, the Google, and started looking around. And in 2005, it was not easy to find a real estate blog. Um, the first one I found was Rain City Guide, which, oddly enough, is based in Seattle, still exists. Um, and then I started finding a few more. You know, I was clearly, Phoenix Real Estate Guide was not the first real estate blog, but I'll bet it was one of the first 50, first 25. There just weren't a lot of real estate blogs out there. Um, but I did find a few, and we were all experimenting. Nobody really knew how this was going to work. And we just kind of, we winged it a lot, and I wrote a lot. And pr it probably took a good year before it really started to take off. And that's because I finally figured out that it's all about the content. You have to have not just good content, but a fairly significant amount of it. And once I really started pounding out the content pieces, that's when the blog started to take off. So tell, tell me what you mean by starting to take off. Let's talk about some of the numbers that um, Phoenix Real Estate guys started generating, you know, say a year into the... the um, well, you're, you're asking me to go back a long time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, the traffic started to grow. Okay, it was always just kind of flat, and it was very low in the beginning. I mean, it was me reading it and my mom occasionally, and a few other people that just happened to stumble across it. But as it started to gain traction, as I started to, to increase the content out, out, excuse me, output, um, Google started to notice it. And at the same time, I was self-teaching myself search engine optimization. Uh, and, you know, I'd say it took about a year to be to start being successful. And by successful, I mean the phone started to ring and emails started to show up in the inbox from people coming from the site wanting information about real estate. It started to generate leads, basically. Okay. Um, I don't remember the number of leads in the first year, but really by year, by the end of the second year, you know, at that time, we were about a year away from being able to open our brokerage. And that's about when the, when it started 
I started to look and I looked at Francie and I said, you know, I'm just throwing a lot of these leads away because I don't have time. I got enough leads to where I could cherry pick. Um, but I figured I was, we were probably leaving a lot of potential revenue on the table because I just couldn't respond to a lot of those leads. And then we started thinking, well, maybe as part of our brokerage, you know, we have two friends that we were going to work with and we said, we can supply them some of these leads. And then once we opened the brokerage, um, it, I think one of the appeals, I think one of the reasons that agents contacted us was because they saw our web presence. So that attracted them to the brokerage. And year after year after year, the lead volume was increasing. And we finally had enough at one point to where we were feeding leads to 30 agents um, at a pretty decent clip. There were several, several of our agents that that was really their sole source of clients was blog leads, uh, which is not not really advisable, but that's just the way it worked out. So the last year that the blog was active, which was to take the full year before I started at Zillow, um, we had 8,000 contacts from the blog, and that's just direct contacts. Um, somebody sending an email, I, I didn't have a way to track phone calls. Um, there had to have been hundreds and hundreds of phone calls as well. So we're looking at generating 8,000 leads a year. And I remember, um, at the end of 2011, or at the beginning of 2011, I set a goal to have 1 million unique visitors for the year. And I actually hit that goal late in December. I didn't think I was going to make it, but I did. I was pretty proud of myself at the end of 2011. I thought, wow, I have, a, I have developed a blog that had a million people visit it in one year, which was really cool. Yeah, that, that, that maybe is that the moment? I thought it was cool. Yeah, that's very And that, is that the moment that stands out for you that kind of like, you're like, wow, this is amazing. I mean, it really was. Um, talking about yeah, organic, it, unpaid leads, you were not paying for any of this. This was all just your effort. I never, no, I never paid a dime. I never did pay-per-click. Um, I work for Zillow now, and I, I, they know what everybody here knows it. Most people out there that know, you know, you know it. I never bought um, impressions from Zillow or Truly or Realtor.com. It was all organic search results. Right. And yeah, I think that moment where I pulled up Google Analytics and saw that one million number, that's where it really hit me. I thought, you know what, this is this has been crazy successful. And there was other moments before that. You know, I got lots of speaking opportunities that were basically generated from the blog. Um, it really it allowed us to open our brokerage. It allowed me to speak and it allowed me to educate. Which is, it, it, I would I don't think I'd be sitting in this office at Zillow right now if it wasn't for that blog. In fact, I'm I'm almost sure I wouldn't be. Hmm. We're going to get to that. I want to ask you one more question about, uh, sure. T, you know, we'll call it T-Preg or the Phoenix real estate guy. What there had to be part of it. I mean, I, I always look back at the, that time because I was I was able to watch that and kind of see this thing go. But how, how important was it to be in Phoenix at that time and that environment that existed in Phoenix? Was that a, a big chunk of what helped you get to where you where you, where you were able to take that? I, that's a great question, and I think it had a lot to do with it. I, I, in the early days of blogging and in, of real estate blogging, which would have been 2005, 2006, I think you could, probably could have been successful just about anywhere. But as blogging started to pick up, which increases the competition, um, it becomes harder and harder. So, you know, the, the whole Phoenix market at the time was just going nuts, crazy, right? These, this was 2006, 2007. Um, you know, where, where appreciation rates were 50, 60% a year, new home subdivisions. They had people sleeping out at the, at the sales offices to, to stand in line to buy lots. And people were buying uh, 
new subdivision lots and flipping them in 30 days and making thousands of dollars. I mean, the market was going crazy. So I think that helped a lot that there was people, there were people out there starving for information. And, and you know, it, it doesn't seem like it was that long ago, but 10 years ago, there was no Zillow, there was no Trulia, there was there was a Realtor.com, but the, the whole internet real estate vertical was really in its infancy. And I think being in a busy market like Phoenix was, plus it's a big market. I had lots of stuff I could write about, you know, hundreds of subdivisions. I don't know that I could have been that successful if I'd lived in Ottumwa, Iowa. No offense to any Iowans that are listening. All right. Um, so yeah, I think I think the market made it play a big difference. And of course, the big crash came too, but that may have also helped in some ways because people are still looking for information. Right. And you're just changing the content. Yep. Yeah. So, all right. So let's, uh, we, we move this up and uh, into about right around 2012. Do you remember that first phone call from Zillow that was like, we want to talk to you about a position? Um, I remember it very well. And I, it's, it's, I think it's a kind of a cool story. Um, I wrote about Zillow frequently on my blog um, from the day we launched, they, they launched at the time, we now. Uh, so from 2006 on, I wrote about Zillow frequently, as many of the early real estate bloggers did, because Zillow was in the news a lot. And invariably, and I was always, this is long before I worked at Zillow, I was very uh, pro-syndication, pro-listing distribution. I, thought, I remember the first day I saw Zillow, I just thought, this is so freaking cool what they're doing. So, I mean, I wasn't necessarily a Zillow cheerleader, but most of my posts were, I guess, if you had to categorize them, they were positive towards Zillow. And almost every time I wrote a post about Zillow, um, Spencer Raskoff, who's currently the CEO at the time, I think he might have been the COO, I don't know. But Spencer, being a social person or on social media, would always thank me for writing a post about Zillow, um, usually via direct message on Twitter. And if you remember, at the beginning of 2012, Bob Bemis, who at the time was Armless CEO, right? He was the CEO of my MLS, got a job at Zillow. And so I did what I always did with that kind of thing. And I did a little interview with Bob when, he, when it was announced that he was leaving. And I never heard from Spencer or anybody at Zillow, which I didn't care about. That's not why I wrote Zillow content. But it was probably around... Uh, maybe a month after I wrote that, I got a message from Spencer and he said, gosh, I feel bad because I never thanked you for that post about Bob Bemis. And I replied back immediately. I said, don't worry about it, Spencer. It's not why I wrote it, but I appreciate it. And he messaged me right back and he said, you should come to Seattle and join the fun. And I turned and I looked at Francie and I pointed to that Twitter message and I said, what does that mean? Come to Seattle and join the fun. And she said, I think it means he wants to offer you a job. And so I tweeted back to Spencer. I just said, tweeted, don't tempt me with a smiley face. And within a few minutes, the phone rang. And it was Spencer's admin who was wanted to set me up for a visit to Seattle. She said, Spencer wants to bring you up here and talk to you. So I looked again at Francie, and I'm like, what do I do? And she's like, go talk to him. I figured, what, did it, what would it hurt, right? Wow. So I did. Flew out to Seattle the next week. I thought it was just going to be me and Spencer. Um, I don't know, talking about what. And when I stepped into the lobby at Zillow, somebody from HR came out and they said, here's your interview schedule. I looked down at it and there's seven or eight people on there 
there's vice presidents, there's Spencer, there's one of the co-founders that I'm going to talk to. And I was like, holy cow, this is a full-blown job interview that I have done zero preparation for. Um, but it was, it was amazing. I got a tour of the facility and I fell in love with it. Um, I was, I, I was like a kid in a candy store because you know me, I'm a, I'm a tech guy at heart. I'm a bit of a geek and a nerd and I'm walking around these floors at Zillow looking at people coding and doing all this cool technology stuff and the environment was awesome. The, the views from the office are amazing. I instantly fell in love with Seattle and I was like, I didn't, I didn't know what to do. I'm like, I don't know, what, are, what am I going to do if they offer me a job? I've got a brokerage that I own. I've got, at the time, I think we had 27 agents. So I've got 27 people i got to look out for, and I just, I didn't know what was going to happen. And um, it happened really fast. Within a few weeks, I got a job offer. There was a little bit of a negotiation going back and forth, not much, and I accepted. And told all our agents that I'd gotten a job at Zillow. And at the time, we had this grand plan. My youngest child was about to graduate from college, from high school. We, she had a scholarship to go to Arizona State. So we thought, Francie will stay in Arizona while Lauren goes to school, and she can run the brokerage. And I'll go up to Seattle and work for Zillow. I knew I was going to travel a lot, and I would just swing by Phoenix or fly Francie up for the weekends or whatever. And that worked out okay for about four to six months. And... Uh, my wife and I adored each other, and it just—it was like living in a long-distance relationship. I missed her. I missed her terribly, and I said, "This isn't going to work. I don't—I can't do this for four years. Um, the, this being not have her with me all the time." And we thought, "Well, we can either shut the brokerage down, or we can sell it, or we can merge it with somebody else. Well, let's figure out what to do." And by some incredible stroke of luck or fate or whatever it is, I was at some event and Glenn Sanford, who's the CEO of EXP Realty, approached me at that event. This is just a few days after Francie and I had said, we've got to do something different. And Glenn looks at me and he goes, have you ever thought about merging your brokerage with somebody else? And I just, I was shocked and I said, let's go over in a corner and talk. And we did, and so we, a few months later, we merged Thompson's Realty with EXP Realty, and that got Francie up here most of the time. Right, that's great. Yeah. Well, you uh, early in your career at Zillow, that first year, you know, because I, I was attending a lot of conferences. Man, you were everywhere. You were. How much time did you spend on the road that first year with Zillow? Uh, that first year, probably at least two weeks out of every month. Fifty yeah. to fifty to seventy-five percent travel. Right. Easily. And now it's kind of changed. Um, mm -hmm. Kind of based in Seattle now, there's a few bigger events. It looks like maybe Zillow's kind of changed the philosophy of some of the sponsoring opportunities or some of the uh, events, right? Yeah, well, one, probably the biggest thing that impacted my personal business travel schedule with Zillow was we started hosting our own agent events across the country. Um, and at the beginning, I, I went to most of those, I, I hosted most of them or a lot of them. And as that became more and more successful and grew, we realized that we needed a team to handle this kind of thing. So, I mean, we had no event coordinators. We had no designated trainers or speakers. We were just kind of shooting from the hip in the beginning. And we built a, uh, honest to goodness, world-class event planning team, um, hired some people to go out and 
and, and, and host and manage these events. And now we've got, I don't know the numbers, I probably shouldn't share them even if I knew them, but we've got probably, I don't know, five or six event people and uh, a dozen or so sales sales group people that go out and do most of our agent events. Okay. So that so, cut down the travel a lot. Excellent. And in you, um, for anyone that's a realtor listening to this podcast, <laughs> you handle a ton, and now I'll use that word lightly, a ton of comments that pop up in numerous forums around the web. Um, and it's generally someone upset with something about Zillow and your job one of your one of your the important roles you have at Zillow is to kind of handle those conversations. Mm -hmm. Correct. Yep. Good. Correct. There there must be a favorite or one or two of those you can share without getting in trouble. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh, there's so many. Um, and you know, I, I, people ask me all the time. They say, "How do they?" Or they, tell, they don't ask me. They tell me. They say, "I don't know how you do what you do," because there is a, a fair amount of vitriol that's spewed out there. Um, but you know, it's, uh, it's not as bad as it probably seems, um, to the, to the external eye, the, the, the amount of, of, of vitriol has decreased, I think significantly over the last couple of years. Um, but it's out there. Some, some classic comments, um, I've had, uh, well, okay, you know, I had a heart attack three weeks after I started at Zillow. That's a whole nother story. But it was probably six months after the heart attack where um, I got an email message. It was clearly a fake email address. I think it was like Zillow sucks at gmail.com or something like that. And it was unbelievably hateful. Um, somebody told me um, that they wished, they said, why don't you do us all a favor and have another heart attack? Now, that's not, I can't really call that a favorite comment. <laughs> Wow. wow is usually the response that most people get uh, get when they see it. I mean, that that kind of uh, nonsense really doesn't happen very often. Usually what I hear is, Jay, you're a good guy, but, and and I'm okay with that. Um, I, I, gosh, there's so many comments. I don't know that I can think of a favorite. I mean, what I really like is when there's, on open online discussions, like for example, it just happened a couple of days ago in some Facebook group. Somebody posted, "Hey, I'm thinking about buying advertising with Zillow. What do you think?" Um, the very first comment that somebody left on that Facebook group in that Facebook group was, "I love it. I get a, I get a, uh, I think they said six or seven times ROI. So for every dollar they spend with Zillow, they get six or seven dollars back in commission income." Um, they were wildly successful with it. And that just kind of made me smile. So I clicked the like button. And the next comment, of course, was don't do it. Um, Zillow's evil. And that kind of brings the haters out. And there was a lot of that. But it, for almost for every one of those saying don't do it, there was somebody else saying that they were successful with it. And I was thinking about this just the other day. And I thought, you know what? Three or four years ago, you didn't see that. You didn't see people coming to the defense of Zillow, for lack of a better term or at least talking about their successes. And it, it's kind of an interesting shift. So I love the positive comments. Um, I, don't, I don't sweat the negative stuff. Um, most of the negative comments, and this is just, I'm being open and honest, most of the negative comments that I see from Zillow come from people that don't understand what we do. And here's a perfect example. There was a guy that was not a fan of Zillow for years. 
And he came out in one comment someday, I don't remember what he said, but it was clear that he had, you know, honestly, he had no clue about our advertising products, the services that we offer agents and brokers, none of that. And so I, I guess I kind of called him out and I said, I got to make up a name, uh, Steve. I said, Steve, I don't believe you have an understanding of what kind of what it is that we do. And he replied immediately back and he said, I have, you're right, I have no clue what Zillow does. And that just that floored me. I'm like, this guy has been spouting some negative stuff about Zillow from before I started working at Zillow. And he just publicly admitted that he has no clue what we do. Well, if you have no clue, how can you hate? You know, it just, it, it blows me away. But you know what? I have not seen a single negative comment from that person since then. I think he realized, you know what? I really don't understand what it is that these guys do or how they work. So I really can't say what my opinion is because I really shouldn't have an opinion. Right? Right. Absolutely. Wow. Well, I, I won't, I won't um, put you on the spot and ask you about what's coming next with Zillow. I'm pretty sure the answer will be, well, we can't really talk about that, but <laughs> let's, let's, let's go back a little bit in time one more time. And, and I know as a, as a volunteer who works closely with the Ignite Phoenix team and, and for uh -huh. anyone, anyone who doesn't know what that is, just go to YouTube and type in Ignite Phoenix. You presented at this event, not just once, but twice. And so I want you to tell everyone in the audience what your first topic was, and then tell us what your second topic was. That's, um, I love it. And I am a huge Ignite fan, particularly Ignite Phoenix. I think Phoenix, Ignite is a worldwide thing, but I think Phoenix has probably done it better than anybody else. My first, and um, you are partly to blame for, for my first topic, because um, you were at Ignite 7? Uh, 8. Eight, yeah. talking about Barbara. And this was uh, submission time for Ignite 10. And you bugged me and you said, Jay, you should do this, you'll love it. And I'm like, I don't know what to talk about. And for those that don't know Ignite, the whole thing is talk about your passion, something that you're passionate about um, and interested in. And I think kind of half jokingly said, well, and you were telling me that, what are you passionate about? And I said, you know what, I'm hungry and I want some fast food. And that's what I'm passionate about is I love fast food. And you and I kind of looked at each other and I think I had this little light bulb moment. I thought, you know what, I really do love fast food. And you, you're you kind of there too, right? I know, I you made some trips to Wendy's and McDonald's. And um, so I thought, okay, this will be interesting. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna submit for night. And I called my presentation, I titled it Better Living Through Fast Food. And, and, um, and it went really, really well. It was, um, Ignite is an amazing thing. It's amazing. I was in front of what, 750, 800 people talking about fast food and how it's in the advantages of it, which just seems kind of silly. And part of it was kind of silly, but it's kind of the whole spirit of Ignite, right? Maybe kind of silly, but it was something I was interested in. And I think I made some good points. I'm like, you know what? There's some advantages to fast food. It's consistent. I went to on a trip to China and was able to have a hamburger at McDonald's that tasted just like a dozen Gilbert Arizona. So that went all, that was all great. Um, got lots of, uh, uh, feedback from it. A couple days later, I was actually pumping gas in my car and somebody pulls up and they go, hey, aren't you that uh, fast food dude? And I was thinking, no, actually, I'm the Phoenix real estate guy, but now I've been associated with fast food. So anyway, it was really cool. And okay, so fast forward, I believe it was 16 months from that presentation. And no, no, it was less than that, probably a year after that. I had 
the previously mentioned heart attack. So, um, and it was, it was, I mean, there was no, I don't believe there's anything, I don't believe there are any insignificant heart attacks, but this was a major one. Um, in the, if you go to Google and Google Widowmaker heart attack, that's the kind I had. It's just which coronary artery was blocked. Um, I'm lucky I survived. I, I, I really am. I mean, I, and the reason I survived is because of some really fast, very high quality medical care. Uh, my cardiologist told me that if I'd waited 15 minutes or 20 minutes to call 911, I wouldn't have survived. Um, so it was a big deal. So it wasn't long after that that I got to thinking, well, this isn't could be an interesting story. So I, I immediately started losing weight. I did some lifestyle changes because I didn't want to ever go through that experience of having a heart attack again. And then Ignite rolled around. And I thought, I should book in these presentations. I did not, you know, a year, year and a half ago, I did better living through fast food. So what if I did another Ignite presentation about surviving a heart attack and what I did after that? So I submitted um, another pro speaking proposal to Ignite, and the title was uh, From Fast Food Junkie to Heart Attack Survivor. Um, also a well-received presentation, very different from the first one. The first one was kind of fun and lots of laughs. Um, the second one had was was not as much comedy because it's hard to be funny when you're talking about almost dying. But right. um, it was a really really interesting experience, and it was kind of you know 180 degree different presentations yet still connected. So it was really cool. That's that's great. And both of those are available on YouTube. Just simply they type are. in those titles of the talks, and you'll find them. They were awesome. So yeah, or you Google uh, Ignite Phoenix J Thompson, and they'll both pop up. Well, well, we've gone on about a half an hour, so I'm, I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up here with just one last question for you. And that's, you know, I always want to make sure we I'm going to talk to a lot of real estate industry, you know, leaders and, and, and uh, top thinkers. And so I'm going to ask you a, a kind of a tough question, but leave us you know, if you've had one piece of advice for a realtor today in the, in the world that we live in today. What's that piece of advice you would leave? By Zillow advertising. <laughs> just <laughs> All right. How about your um, second piece of information? <laughs> um, you know, that's a tough question. Um, I'm going to have to say this is going to this is going. I hope this doesn't sound petty. Answer your phone. Honest to honest to goodness, um, I see lots of data, and I talk to lots and lots of agents, both those that do advertise with us and those and those that don't. Um, and I am to this day blown away by the number of agents that don't answer their phone when a lead calls. We have a, we have every online site, Zillow, Trulia, Realtor.com, Homes, um, agent sites, franchise sites. Um, when internet leads come into agents, it's, it's phenomenal how many of those are blown off or people think internet leads are garbage or whatever it is that they're, they're too busy to answer or whatever unresponded to leads just doesn't make any sense to me. Pick up your phone and call people. Um, do something with email. Make contact. Um, that, it, I, mean, I used to give my own agents that advice. They'd come to me and say, what can I do to increase my business? I'm like, answer your phone. And, and that, that's not a very good answer to a, to a thinker's type of question, but if an agent really wants to be successful, that's what they need to do. And so some successful agent, hopefully, is out there listening, going, I answer my phone every 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 time it rings. And good for you. What can they do? Um, I don't want this to sound like company speak because it's honestly not. Um, the real estate universe is changing, okay? I don't think, and, and 
executives at Zillow don't believe, strongly do not believe that real estate agents will be replaced by a website. But there's no question that technology is changing how real estate is done. And agents need to understand that they are no longer the keepers of the data. They're not the gatekeepers of the data. The data is out there. Data wants to be free, okay? And the internet frees data and consumers love it. Agents need to understand their role has shifted from a data provider to a data interpreter, okay? They're, they're, they're the professionals. They need to help consumers interpret, interpret all that data that they're getting. And that's a huge opportunity that so many agents don't take advantage of. Understand the data that's out there. Understand how all these sites that consumers are visiting work and help those consumers manage and get through all that data and help them through the transaction process. You know what, John? I couldn't agree with you more. I think, uh, you know, you know, in my role that it, I talk to agents all the time and it's, it's, it's kind of uh, mind blowing how many don't grasp that fact that the, everybody can find what they kind of want to find, but they need somebody to put it all together. And that's great. Exactly. Yeah, that's great. Well, Jay, I, I can't thank you enough. I mean, I know we, we definitely got to let you, I know you got to get back online. We know that's where you live. And, uh, and thank you so much for, uh, you know, being the first guest at what we hope sure. is many guests at the, uh, the real estate sessions podcast. And, uh, thanks again. And, and we'll, we will see you uh, on Facebook. All right. All right. Well, bring, bring me back for the 100th episode. <laughs> I'll do that. Thanks, Jay. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Good. Great talking to you. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Real Estate Sessions with Bill Rissa of Chicago Title, Arizona. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and tell your friends about The Real Estate Sessions as new episodes are published weekly.